Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, it's Friday. It's the food fight. This morning, second quarter GDP was way worse than anybody expected. What does that mean for the economy? And also, ExxonMobil, worst quarterly earnings of the century. What does that mean for that company? What does it mean for the oil patch? We'll talk about it next. This is Money Beat. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Now, financial food fight. Welcome to the food fight here at the Money Beat Studios in New York City. And boy, folks, have we got a lot to talk about. This one might actually be a this might be a real food fight today. Stephen Grosser, what do you think? We did bring out you know several of the herd uh, members, some, some herders. We have uh, Spencer Jacob and Justin Layhart with us here. We also have calling in from Boston, as always, Chuck Jaffe from Market Watch. Chuck, how are you? Good. Good to be with you again. Took and two people to replace Jack Otter. It did. It did. And I've got three letters for you, folks. I'm going to just throw it out there. G-D-P. What does that stand for? Uh, <laughs> just that kidding. stands for Great Domestic uh, Produce. No, Gross Domestic Product this morning comes in, second quarter report. People thought it would be about 2.6%. Comes in at 1.2%. Also, the government added some benchmark revisions to prior periods that brought down those numbers as well. Uh, this was a, a very weak headline number. I noticed a lot of people were immediately trying to find the silver linings in this thing and say that it's better than it looks and things aren't all that bad and, and you know, yada, yada, yada. Not Paul. No, I was definitely not one of them. I, I think possibly, Justin, you were probably one of them. What? Were you were you looking for some silver linings in this? Do you think this report is not quite as bad? Of course, as that it's headline not number? as bad as the no, headline it's not. number. Of course, it isn't. Dude, tell me why. Silly. It, tell me why it isn't. Um, because the big, you know, the big thing that took away from the report was an inventory swing, which took like one point two percentage points away from the report. So that's not something that you know you don't see like a big invent. And this was an actual drawdown. Um, you just don't see inventory drawdown sort of happen over and over and over again. So, you know, we're in a situation where final domestic demand is better than that. Do I think it's a great report? No, but it's not like a 1.2% sort of economy report. Even though you now have three quarters in a row, <clears throat> excuse me, three quarters in a row that have been around 1%, the yeah. headline number. Yeah. But we don't have a 1% economy right now. No, I mean, look, look what, was, uh, what was consumer spending in the report? In this report? Yeah. It was 4.2. Four point two percent. So the consumer, big part of the economy, right? Two thirds. Big part of the economy. Big part yeah. of the economy. So you know you have that four point two percent. You had final domestic demand. It what was it like? What was final domestic demand? Uh, that one I'm not sure. Off like two nine or something like that. So that's sort of like what demand is in the economy is two nine, and then you have this other stuff that's taking away from it. Now that's not good. Right, and I'm not saying it's a great economy. I'm just saying it's not like a one-two economy. But we've heard. I mean, we've heard Janet Yellen bring this up, and you know, and this report sort of, you know, highlighted her, that point about business investment and the, and the lack thereof. I mean, what was your takeaway from? Yeah, no, the that? business investment thing. That's a different. So the, the 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 inventory swing is sort of part of business, right? But that's just, you know, inventory swings. People, you know, if you build up inventory then you're making stuff that you're not selling, right? And if you take inventory down, right, you're selling stuff, but you're not making it to sort of replenish your inventory, so you make less. So production is less, right? But 
you know, so that can swing around and swing things. There's a separate issue is with what businesses are doing and what they're spending on. And this is not a good thing, right? This is, you know, they just haven't been spending on new equipment, you know, new plants, that type of thing. Um, and this is not a new thing. This is sort of even predates the uh, predates the financial crisis. It's just been weak, you know, weak spending on equipment. It almost feels like it has – it's sort of like – I was saying this to Paul. It almost feels like the way the Fed has been talking about it, business investment is sort of becoming like wages too, where you know we're well, just, waiting for it to sort of Well, yeah but, yeah, but okay. So we did have a wage – you know, we had a separate report on, on, on wages and salaries today, and that's – you know, we were seeing that pick up. And they are kind of two sides of the same you – know, so what's been happening is they haven't been spending money on, you know, on equipment and stuff, and now – like so, you don't if you don't buy new computers and all that kind of stuff like you, you like you should, right? Then you don't get efficiency gains, and if you don't get efficiency gains, then if you get extra demand, right? Someone comes in and buys like one more thing, then you have to hire someone to make it, right? So what's happening? You know what? This is sort of the low productivity problem, right? So, you know, you don't you can have not a lot of GDP or sort of not a lot of demand or not a lot of increase in demand, and you have to hire someone. And also now we're at the point where, you know, there's enough slack taking up in the in the job market that you have to pay them more too. Or you have to then go and reinvest in the business and say you've held off long enough to try to get everything out of there. I mean, the inventory reduction thing is sort of like eating from your pantry. It's like when you go to the grocery store and you've bought a bunch of stuff, you've got it in the pantry, but then you're still going to the grocery store to buy more food, and someday you go, wait, 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 let's eat this and use this thing that I have here, and so you don't have to go buy groceries for a week. The number's higher. I mean, let's be honest. That number is bigger than we typically hear, and you'd hope that it doesn't happen very often, but the fact that that number's bigger than you hear makes you kind of go, huh, really? Like, all of a sudden, everybody at once was just able to clear their inventory? That that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and I look, I just think you have seen these kinds of numbers time and again, and we keep being told that the bounce is right around the corner, and the first quarter was weak, so the second quarter was going to be better. Now the whole first half looks like garbage, and the second half of the year is supposed to be better. And you keep being told that the economy is just about to take off. Every time there's a lousy number, you're told that, and it consistently has not Happened, and we are seven years into this recovery, where that has constantly and, been and just around the corner, and we still have not gotten it. With I would point out, interest rates at basically zero, and after the Fed has had three separate quantitative easing programs that have pumped trillions of dollars into the economy, you still don't have an economy that is taking off, that is operating under its own speed. And on on that note, let's talk about what really matters. Um, which is not the economy, of course. It's uh, how much uh, kind of uh, stimulus we're going to get from the Fed because uh, from the point of view of uh, people buying stocks and bonds, that's kind of what they're laser-focused on, right? Mm-hmm. And you, know, you can argue that <clears throat> the inventory adjustment was, uh, was a big distortion here, but that's not how markets took it. I mean, the, the odds of, uh, of an, another Fed rate increase yeah, you know, this this year are now very low, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. And that that was yeah, they, they went down a bit today. Yeah, and so or I mean, on, yeah. markets are you know are 
one and done. We were supposed to have four, uh, according to the dot plot not so right. long ago. Now we're down to one. So it's not like the U.S. is in a recession. It's not like that. I mean, we had Brexit, and that's kind of it. Well, the Fed's going to be an interesting – it could be an interesting, you know, sort of – it could be an, an interesting crossroads here, right? Because, you know, you do have um, – you know, you do have this these these wage gains coming through, and you know we're seeing the job market's pretty strong. You know, it's it's there's a there's a divide between that and GDP, right? But you know, if they, you know, if they're seeing full employment, if they're seeing wage gains, um, that gives them a reason to tighten. You are seeing weak wage gains, though. I mean, let's not kid ourselves; they're not robust wage gains. If the Fed is at a crossroads, it's staring at a stop sign. At whichever end of the intersection it's at. Well, wait, wait, right. wait. I want to get back fixing, to so fixing the these, flat tire. Right? I mean, I mean wage, you know, it hasn't wage, moved in a while. Right? Yeah, you've seen the wage gains pick up, right? I mean, you saw. Yeah, but they've picked up from terrible to mediocre. You're looking at what two, two and a half percent wage growth. Right. You're looking. So we saw two point five percent on the um, sort of employ, employment cost uh, right. index, sort of the smooth one. that yeah. is a good thing to look at. That's, you know, that's. You know, it's that's, it's going up. It's, it's going, going up. up, but it's not going up anywhere near what you need to have to have the kind of economy that can operate under its own speed, which is why you keep getting these terrible GDP numbers. But it'll keep, you know, if we keep on getting job growth, you're going to see that go not up if, some more. Not if, not if you have... No, I mean, you think it's all going to fall off the table, I understand. But, you know, if you continue to see job growth... You will see those wages okay, go up. D- you, you have not continued to see strong job growth because, like you said, we're at full employment. So you, you now have job growth moderating. I know. Wage We've only is seen not a million great. jobs added so far this year. That's not uh, – go ahead, Chuck. As much as the Fed says it's data dependent, is anybody buying the numbers? Is the Fed actually – at this point, thinking it's going to make a decision before no, before December, because September it's still close to the election. You can't imagine. I think the change in the language and the change in the language this week was actually significant. There are a number of places where they sort of made a point of being more optimistic, but I think that was done to basically make the market sort of know, hey, here's what we're thinking, and to keep, to keep the ball in play. I don't think they can advance the ball. I just think they want, you know, all the way to the end zone. I think they just wanted to be able to make sure they got a fresh set of downs. Well, I mean, that's, it, why it, they wound up, that's why they wound up making the statement. But they're not going to do anything in September. They certainly are not doing anything in November, six days before the election. Expanding on the ball analogy, I mean, it, it seems that we're seven and a half years into this, it seems the, the Fed is like, you know, Lucy with the football. And uh, we've all been Charlie Brown, except uh, Charlie Brown now is like, you know, gone home to feed Snoopy and whatever, right? I mean, he's not, you know, he's, the, the market doesn't really believe it. The, the market isn't, isn't buying it. I mean, if you I look at the bet odds, and it's, it's, well, it's been correct. I mean, you, you, you've been, you've always been well served to fade the Fed through this whole yeah. extraordinary period, you know, since the, the crisis. You know, what, don't believe what they say, you know. Thing, you know, the well, and skepticism. I mean, I mean, to some degree, the Fed's also in the position of it. Also, it has it has to be optimistic in what it's sort of conveying. I think right, but you and don't have to be. A, you're exactly an if you're Fed, if you're right? an investor, it, it's been to be sort of skeptical of the Fed's optimism has been yeah. the right call. Uh, look, I think a couple of things. I think you see businesses see what is happening on their bottom lines, and so they're not putting a lot of money into. They're, they're buying a lot of their own stock back. They're, they're not putting a lot of – they're being very cautious about how much they're going to invest in their own businesses. The Fed is petrified about even raising 
the the, in, uh, the Fed funds rate by 25 basis points when it's at zero. To me, that tells you everything you need to know about this economy and where it's going. And the fact that you've had three GDP reports now that are all 1%, roughly 1%. I mean, to me, that tells you everything about where the economy is going. Justin, I hope you're right. I would love to see things pick up. Again, I just, until I actually see it, I'm not going to. I'm not going to believe it's happening. So, what do you think of the stock market? It's near highs, pretty cool, huh? Oh, it's great. Oh, stock market highs. That's great. Listen, let's let's take a break here because we have to, uh, and we will come back on the other side. We might continue this. We might jump into a couple other topics. I'm Veronica Dagger. Do you want to know how the rich invest, spend, and protect their money? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beats. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Now, Financial Food Fight. Welcome back to the Food Fight on a Friday afternoon. Let's talk a little bit about, it's still earnings season. Uh, one of the big Dow components, a company you've all heard of, ExxonMobil, reported earnings today. What, what did those earnings look like, gentlemen? Uh, they, they look like garbage. Um, they, they were the, the lowest uh, quarterly earnings uh, since mobile was in the name, uh, the lowest in this century. Um, lower and, than the first quarter, right? Lower than the first quarter, which was a surprise, and, and a lot which lower was the than, lowest previously. That's right. Yeah, new new low. Uh, so they did not look good. The stock is what not was down. The, that what much. did they? They did earn money, right? They earn money. Yeah. Um, they earn money, and they earn money solely thanks to their chemical division. They, over half of the uh, the earnings came from the chemical division. Um, which you know you, you don't want to be a big oil company and have more than half your income come from your chemical division, um, and what happened is that uh, everyone knows the price of oil is low right. uh, and the price of natural gas is not good. Um, what happened is that the the second leg, uh, the second and only leg for their all their competitors, which is uh, the downstream part of the business, refining and marketing, also was lousy and. Not only was it lousy, but it's lousier now than it was during the quarter. The outlook is not very good because there's a glut of refined product uh, all around the world. That I mean, that was interesting. You know, at the end of last quarter, when their results were, you know, very bad as well, the argument was the price of oil is going up, so this is probably the bottom in Exxon's. It wasn't, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much of that has to do with the fact that oil? There's just a glut of oil around the world. Well, there's a glut. I mean, the the thing is that like, the, the, they're planting the seeds of the rebound because the cutbacks are so dramatic. If you look at mm-hmm. most large integrated oil companies, which are the biggest oil companies, the biggest private oil companies uh, on earth, although they're by far not the biggest oil companies on earth, um, they are slashing spending. They have, they're two years into slashing spending. And a lot of their projects are two, three, four-year projects. And so you are going to see... Uh, that that curve kind of roll over in terms of, of production all around the world, and that that's what's going to bring us, you know, maybe not a recovery to triple digits, but something of a recovery. But that's been uh, in fits and starts. You know, last year, last spring, you had a big rally, then it petered out. This spring, you had a big rally. Oil prices doubled between February and early June, and now we're back to a three-month low almost. So, you know, it's. This bear market is a you know a lot longer and and tougher than um, 
than people anticipated. There's not really a light at the end of the tunnel quite yet. But you know it's going to come. Uh, what's different this time, though, is you have a lot of kind of what's called short-cycle people who are going to jump back in and ruin it. Yeah. And they already are starting to do that. You already have seen a big pickup in activity uh, in the shale patch. Yeah. Because there, uh, you, you can spend money today, 8 to $12 million, let's say, uh, and you, you'll have oil coming out of the ground well, in eight months. That's, well, that, you don't have that with the big offshore and they're, and they're getting more efficient in their production, too. They are, yeah. I, I mean, because we've, we've seen the rig count come down dramatically, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, over the last couple of years. But production did not follow suit. And now the rig count is pushing up again. It's, I mean, I, we the data should actually have been hit, you know, should be hitting the tape actually as we right, speak. Right. But it was seven of the last eight weeks as of last Friday right. that they've increased the rig count. So it's sort of like the price goes up and U.S. producers come into, back into the market. That's right. You have a lot, of, you know, because all, in any business in the world, and energy is included in this, you know, you have a lot of money burning holes in people's pockets. You know, you have capital looking for a place to go. And you have uh, some of the, a lot of the the big companies in the business are um, are hurting, but you have a lot of private money, and it doesn't cost as much to bring in a well. And also, you have a lot of wells that already have been drilled; they just need to be completed. Uh, and you can bring those on. You have hundreds of those all over the U.S. Those can be brought on very very quickly. So it, it, this market can turn on a dime, you know, and that's gonna, that can choke off. Uh, any kind of a recovery. That's not what's happening now. What's happening now, it's not that all this, this shale oil is coming back because it can't come back that fast. It's just that um, you had uh, some temporary factors that went away. You had refineries going full tilt all over the world, and you had some supply disruptions in Nigeria and Canada with the wildfires, and those have gone away, and and now the world is drowning in crude again. It already yeah, was drowning. The price is coming far, far back down again. Yeah. Grocer, what is this going to do to Exxon's market cap? Well, this is an interesting stat. I mean, we only have you know, the market cap figures for the end of the year. But if Exxon is out of the top five, and Amazon and Facebook are right on its heels right now um, in for, uh, in, you know, to replace it, I think they're $4 billion or $5 billion behind it as we speak. If that if the both of them replace it, that would be the first time since 1980 that uh, Exxon has not been among the five biggest companies by market cap at the end of a year. Wow, hmm. wow. and that's at least 1980. We only have it going back to 1980, yeah. Yeah. and that's courtesy of uh, Mr. Howard Silverblatt over at uh, S and P. Well, oh, let, let me let me tell you Howard. something counterintuitive here, though. Um, with uh, with Exxon, they um, if they play their cards right. And they did this the last two oil busts. They'll come out of this relative to their peers. They'll come out even stronger because a lot of their peers are they're, they're dividend players. That's why people own them. You, know, yeah. you get an o- almost seven percent uh, dividend yield with BP. You get an over seven percent yield with Shell. Chevron hasn't cut its dividend in I think twenty eight years. Exxon hasn't in uh, something like three decades. Uh, but its dividend yield is is lower than those others. It, its share price more than or it's dropped. Since the since oil peaked, less than any of those big integrated companies, it recently used its shares to buy a, a big gas project in Papua New Guinea. Uh, there's all kinds of buzz about it, you know, buying um, some bombed out producers in, in in North America while it can. You know, Exxon has a lot more firepower, despite the fact that it's it's paying out in investments and dividends a lot more than it's earning. It still has the balance sheet to to you know, bite the bullet and to invest, yeah, and those I, guys don't. And investors that's a big are going to love if if it if this report 
winds up hammering Exxon stock, a whole lot of investors who are looking for dividend yields and things that they feel are safe are going to be buying in, and it, this will be sort of their trigger to say, okay, I've been waiting to watch big oil get to where it's cheap enough for me to buy. I think maybe this makes it cheap enough for some hmm. folks to buy. One of the questions, um, I, you know, this is beyond just Exxon, but just talking about oil. We've seen in the last month, as investors have gotten more confident that the central banks around the world are going to provide more uh, stimulus, the stocks in oil really diverge. Mm-hmm. Um, and oil is, you know, it's, it's rebounding today, but it was close to a bear market yet when it finished yesterday. Mm-hmm. How long can this divergence, um, you know, continue? Because, you know, earlier this year, last year, the two were very correlated. I think, you know, the, I think so. So my my thought here, I, Spencer, mm-hmm. will either back me up or tell me I'm completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, there's a there's a different dynamic in what's going on with the oil price. So before it was a lot of it was sort of demand, right, sort of demand driven, like concerns about oil. And now it's more of a supply story, and that's different. So you don't sort of, like, look at what's going on with oil as much and say, oh, my God, that's, like, you know, bad economy. It's, like, Mm -hmm. more, oh, that's a supply, you know, that's more of a supply issue because we're not having wildfires, et cetera. Is that fair? I mean, I I don't know. I, I would... I would look at it even more simply. I mean, the the reason that oil and a lot of commodities had a huge, huge bounce earlier this year was this kind of wall of money that hit everything. And, you know, in the short run, oil and anything else, I mean, it, it it's it's the most traded commodity on earth, physically, but also uh, in terms of, of cash terms. And the amount of, of speculation that goes on in, in oil, purely financial speculation, dwarfs the, the actual amount of, of trade in oil or natural gas. You know, so energy is a big speculative plaything. And so in the short run, that's part of the reason that it, that it bounced so hard. For, first of all, $27 is not sustainable. Everyone knows that. So, you know, it got, it got so low that it was, you know, it was like a rubber band being stretched too far. But um, the fundamentals in the short term are still terrible. They were terrible then, and they're still terrible now. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, of oil in storage, a record amount of oil in storage. Uh, there's a lot of oil being pumped. And, um, you know, even a supply shock like you know, Nigeria, million barrels coming out of Nigeria, a million and a half barrels coming out of Canada, not that much. It's not, it's that, it doesn't scare people that much anymore because there's so much uh, of it, the stuff around. But you're sort of suggesting that this won't scare investors, the falling oil prices, as much because they're not going to be worried about what this says about the underlying global economy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess, I mean, the other thing we could say is, like, look, a lot of the stuff that was going on earlier this year with, like, the, the sharp crash, right, and then the, the bounce back, it was all part of that weird feedback loop that we had between sort of the dollar and commodity, emerging emerging markets and commodity producers. So, right, everything crashed at once, and then everybody everything came back at, at once, right? And now we're sort of at a more differentiated uh, situation where everything isn't correlated like it was. Right, and it's it's a commodity market. It's its own market. This is not a share of Tesla where you, it's worth what you think it's worth. You know, there's people buying and selling oil every day. The supply has to has to meet demand. Uh, in in the short run, you can have these crazy runs. Obviously, it's not you know, but in the medium term, oil's worth you know it's going to rise or fall to uh, the, the proper price. It, it is, and uh, it, that meant falling recently. All right. 
Spencer, let's leave it there. Uh, I know Chuck has to get on to an interview, and we have taken up enough of the good people's time. Anyhow, I want to thank you all for listening, and have a great weekend. We will talk to you next week. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.